Welcome back, everyone. I have another great episode for you here today, and it's all centered around a young gentleman named Gary Clute. Gary hails from Ontario and an incredibly interesting background in the automotive industry. He's been around some of the most interesting cars that have been built, found, and restored in this country, so it's no wonder he ended up behind the wheel of an incredibly fast one as a professional race driver. You'll probably recognize Gary's last name from the legendary motor car family if you've been around the industry for a while. But to do an adequate justice for the, his time behind the wheel of this monster, we do focus on his driving and the youthful inspiration that propelled him into the position he's in now. So if you're anxious to hear more about the legendary motor car company, do keep listening to the weekly show as I speak to his dad, Peter, and go deep on that story later in this season three's finale. You'll hear that in about four weeks time. I hope you enjoy Gary's tales from behind the wheel. Also, his enthusiasm for the sport and his infectious charisma. He's one hell of an ambassador for the sport and for race drivers alike. I'm your host, Trevor Byrne, and this is the Bucket Seat Podcast. Cool. Well, we're going to get started here. Um, I am back with another episode of the Bucket Seat Podcast, and this time I'm very happy to introduce Mr. Gary Clute to the show. So, Gary, thanks so much for coming by and uh, and hanging out with me here at the studio. Yeah, thanks for having me. <laughs> so if anybody doesn't know, my studio consists of my dining room table, two microphones, and a, a little kind of pocket recorder. It's pretty um, it's pretty advanced, um, but it works, right? Yeah, this is good. Yeah, yeah it's just like uh, Joe Rogan's. Yeah, exactly. It feels like a real fireside chat. So, so anyway, so as an intro to Gary, he's a professional stock car racing driver. He's a true car nut, which he comes by pretty naturally too. So that blood runs deep and it runs deep through a little organization named Legendary Motor Car. So if you've ever found a car that you've loved online, there's a good chance that Gary and Legendary have had it in their showroom at one point or another in the last 30 years. So before we dive into the racing world, most listeners may have had a chance to listen to the Peter Clute episode just previous to this and about the beginnings of LMC and how he got into cars. But Gary, why don't you give us a quick recap on what LMC is and what it is that you do there? So Legendary Motor Car is a company my dad started in 1984, um, buying and selling collector cars, you know, mostly muscle cars. Um, and we started, he started doing restorations. Uh, I was born in 92, so uh, <laughs> a few years a later, a few years later. Um, and then I guess my intro to it um, was probably when I was 15, I bought and sold my first car. And have been buying and selling cars ever since. Oh, amazing. Okay, cool. Well, and and we definitely encourage everybody that's listening out there, just Google it, um, Legendary Motor Car. Also, you can find uh, Gary and Peter both on Velocity and the Business News Network. Yep. And your show, which is Legendary Motor Cars. Yep, same title. Awesome. So it's easy to find, very Google friendly. Make sure you get out there and do that. So uh, take a look at that. But first, finish listening to this episode. So before we get into the racing bits, which I'm really interested in, um, I want to start with uh, something that I start or where I start with all of my guests, which is at the beginning. So you'd already kind of alluded to it, but what was it that got you into cars? So what was it that inspired or hooked you? Well, I mean, I actually went home to Legendary Motor Car before I, I came home to the house when I was born. My dad <laughs> took me straight into the shop and showed me a, a new Ferrari he just bought. Come on. Um, <laughs> but then I, I guess, you know, I wasn't... 
I wasn't super into cars when I was little. Uh, I started racing and that was a huge passion. I was just, you know, picture the most competitive guy you know. That was me when I was little. Um, but then I guess really when I started driving. So, uh, you know, I guess when I was 15, bought and sold my first car. Okay. Um, and then started buying and selling cars from there. And I, I became a little bit of a deal junkie. Um, <laughs> nice. And then started driving cars and driving race cars. And that's when I started to really appreciate cars and started to look back and, yeah, it's, you know, look at cars that I thought were cool in my own right, as opposed to what my dad thought was cool. Yeah. I, I mean, that, that must be such an interesting kind of juxtaposition between the two of you when it comes to what you like and what he likes. But before we get that far, what was that first car that you owned? Uh, it was a 2005 uh, Mustang GT convertible as a yellow car. Okay. Yeah. All right. So and I bought that and sold it. Uh, I sold it like maybe three months before I turned 16 and could drive it. Oh my God. That's amazing. Wait, so did you do any, did you do any work on it? Nope. Just bought it and okay. sold it. Just, okay. you know, doing gotcha. the deal. And before, okay. So then, uh, so this is kind of backwards for most people, which is hilarious. So you owned that car, but you also purchased that car. That was the first car you ever owned and the first car you ever purchased. Yep. That's amazing. And then once you had your license, what was that car you had that you were driving? Well, I wasn't going to drive something like that to school. I bought a uh, Cobalt SS, a 2006. Okay. That's the supercharged one? Yep. So yeah. it, was a, it was stick. Right. Cool sound system in it. Yeah. Beat the snot out of it and <laughs> made a couple hundred bucks, I think. Awesome. <laughs> so um, now, did you ever tinker with cars? Like, were you into tuning and modifying at all? Not really with cars. I mean, so I started go-kart racing. I'm probably going to jump a couple questions ahead, but I started go-kart racing when I was seven. Yep. And you know, that was my deal. My dad was basically learning with me how to tune on a go-kart mm -hmm. and I was learning at the same rate. And, okay. you know, I cared a lot because I was so competitive. <laughs> um, so I would be, you know, Thursday night before a race weekend, I'd be wrenching on my go-kart, strip it down to the bare chassis. So I, I have a huge passion for working on go-karts. Um, not as much on tinkering on cars. I, you know, I never really hot rodded a car of my own kind of thing. And it's so funny to have walked through your shop too, and you look at it and you're going, you've never hot routed a car, but you've hot routed a lot of cars. <laughs> um, okay. So then what was the cool car that everyone had to have when you were in high school? There definitely wasn't that way. I was in Georgetown. Okay. Um, so kind of farm town. Um, hey, hey, it could have been a truck too. And it was I a mean... lot of, it was, it was very important to have a shit box. Um, so I had a 1989 GMC pickup truck, 1500. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the tailgate had fallen off, uh, <laughs> the exhaust had broken off. So it sounded like a freaking monster truck. Of course. Yeah. Um, and we just like, it didn't matter. You could run into whatever you wanted, drive over snow banks. And that was the unit. <laughs> that's awesome. Um, that's so funny because there, <laughs> I get so many different answers to that question. I love how different they all end up being. Okay. So then what about today? So what's your daily driver today? Or do you have a bunch of dailies? Uh, I drive a 2018 Denali. Nice. Yeah. Pickup oh. truck. So we just buy them, sell them to the U S. Um, you know, it's nice to drive a new car. Yeah. I, every once in a while I get a romantic idea of having an older car and then it's like, <laughs> well, you know what? Firing it up in the middle of winter while you're sitting in your living room is pretty nice. Yeah. Yeah. There's uh, something to be said about heated seats and even I'm sure it has a heat, heated steering wheel too. That's just those luxuries are hard to go back from. Yeah. One oil change and then I sell it. <laughs> nice. That's awesome. Um, okay. So then LMC, uh, legendary motor car obviously has had a big impact on your life. 
what are your fondest memories of LMC growing up? Like you've alluded to a couple of them, but I mean, what is it that you hold? Like what's the highest or the most important moment in having LMC there? I mean, I'm going to say in your backyard, was it actually in your backyard? Yeah. I mean, uh, the, my dad's first shop was before I was born, but then the second shop, he moved to Milton in, uh, 91 and I was born in 92. Okay. And yeah. I, I, you know, it was 10 feet away from the house. He built the shop right behind the house. Right. We actually had the shop phone ringing in the house. Uh, that's a, uh, yeah. Classic shop world. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, fondest memory, I think just overall, you know, my, my little brother works with us as well. And my dad, and it's just kind of the three of us or four of us, including the manager. And we're all best friends, spend every day together. So Every day is a fond memory, really. I mean, there's wow. there's been some great auction trips and stuff like that, but uh, every day is good. Wow. I mean, that sounds too good to be true. That's amazing. <laughs> Almost. <laughs> okay. So let's move into racing. So in terms of what you do in the series you run in, give us a little bit of the 101. I mean, what series are you running in um, and what kind of car are you driving in it? So right now it's the NASCAR Pinty series. So NASCAR came up and bought Cascar in 2006. Okay, right. Because um, I always used to refer to it as Cascar. So it's that it's no longer NASCAR Pinty series. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Right. It is the Pinty series. So it's no longer Cascar. So they came up, bought it, moved their whole program up. Um, you know, I think it helped it helped the series a little bit. Yeah. Um, so that's the series I'm running in, and I'm driving a Dodge because they pay the most money. Aha! It's a Challenger. Nice. Nice. Okay. Give me a little bit of the rundown on specs on that car. Like what kind of horsepower do you run in a car like that? Yeah, they're about, uh, you know, 510 to 520 horsepower, um, single piston brakes, you know, wow. dollar store shocks. Like it's <laughs> rudimentary deal, uh, bias ply tires. Okay. Um, oh my God, that's crazy. Yeah. And we're, it's just a bunch of guys out there really wheeling the cars, you know, okay. they're sideways. Yeah. And I mean, that's a spec series too, right? So you've got limitations on horsepower. You all have to run the same tires. Is that kind of the, the general setup? Totally. I mean, the most spec series I've ever run in, um, beyond, like you go to some other series that I've raced in, it's like the rule books, two pages, what's the deal here? <laughs> and this series, like, you know, you go qualify, they take your tires they keep them overnight. No kidding. They tech you before and after practice sessions. Like it's, it's the real deal. It's, you know, for the most part, as close as you can get in racing to a spec series. That's crazy. I didn't realize that it was, um, that it was that highly regimented and that's wild. Um, and do you guys run two cars? Like, do you have a, a, like a backup for every race or how does that work? Yeah. So, you know, uh, Every, every team, regardless if they're going to run the whole season, has an oval car and a road course car. Okay. Yeah. So we run seven ovals and five road courses. Oh, wow. I didn't realize the split was that dynamic. Oh, that's yeah, crazy. it's really neat. A lot of road course guys. Oh, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, you know, and then a bigger team will have three cars. Okay. Kind of thing. One backup car. Gotcha. Okay. So on that note, so you've got 11 races in a, or 11 tracks that you're going to run on in a series. Um, how many do you, like how many races have you competed in over the years through the Pinty series? You've done some camping world truck series and I think one other series as well, you'd mentioned before. Um, so like how many, how many races have you run in? Well, I might give you a long answer on this one. I, yeah, I've right. probably run 42 races Okay. in a full sized car, which is, you know, nothing for most guys. Yeah. Um, I started, I, I did my first race when I was 17 um, my dad had, um, he was racing, he bought a car to race in the Pinty series, uh, just to run the, the odd road course race. Okay. And he had a, a guy he was looking after his vintage race car and he said, Hey, that's fun. I want to do that too. So we built him a car and he couldn't make the first race at Mosport. So 
you know, my dad had, uh, you know, I was in maybe one or two full body car races before and he's like, all right, you're ready to go. No Seat's kidding. Open, let's go. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. So, uh, did that and I, I beat him. Um, oh my God, that's crazy. Yeah. So he hasn't, he hasn't beaten me actually since. Uh, <laughs> so we did, we did that. And then I did like maybe one or two other races just when I could kind of find the time and the money. Uh, and then in 2015, you know, I found a sponsor. We were going to do the whole series. Um, won rookie of the year, won the first race, put it on pole the first race and did that whole season. Uh, ran all of 2016, uh, 2017, we ran half the season. Uh, and then from there just kind of, uh, I got a little bit busier doing other stuff and just kind of ran the one-off races that I thought were the biggest and best chance of winning kind of thing. Gotcha. Do you have a preference oval to road course? I definitely like the road courses. I mean, I grew up racing go-karts on road courses, kind yeah. of how, how you picture all the, all the F1 guys growing up in Europe kind of thing. Of course, yeah. Um, so definitely the road courses. The oval racing is a different sport completely, totally different. <laughs> and what's the biggest oval course in Canada or oval track in Canada? Because the only one that I've honestly, I've been to, uh, I think I've only ever been to Sunset. Would that make sense? That's just outside yeah. of Barrie? Yeah, Sunset. Uh, that was my third oval race. Right. And that's kind of like a kidney shape, isn't it? No, it's a fairly a... good oval. A little, yeah, you're right. A little bit of a kidney. Okay. Um, the biggest one I think is in Newfoundland. I couldn't tell you the exact length of it, but it's a lot bigger. You know, most of the tracks in Canada are tiny. That's what I yeah. thought. Yeah. 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 Definitely okay. no super speedways. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, okay. So actually it, you just kind of touched on it. I wanted to go back just for a second, mm -hmm. getting into it. Um, and from a karting standpoint, uh, how long did you run karts for? So I started racing go-karts in kind of 99, 2000 when I was about seven. Mm -hmm. uh, and I raced from seven until I was 16. Um, and again, like four, you know, par for the course, I raced like six races a year. Nothing special. There was guys racing 90 races a year. Holy shit. Wow. Um, <laughs> and just kind of all over Ontario, Mostport, Goodwood, Hamilton, Innisfil, Sutton. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Wow. That was a go-kart season. Well, I mean, we'll get into that a little bit later too, but um, it does sound like that's a great place to get started. Okay. So uh, we talked about where you've been racing. So do you primarily race like in, in Canada? Pinty's is a Canadian series, but there's a U.S. stop as well, isn't there? Yeah. They, they started doing New Hampshire this year. Okay. Um, which, you'll, you know, I'm trying to put together a program. We'll probably get into it later. I'm trying to put together mm -hmm. a program for next year to, to run the whole thing. Uh, I think that's the second last race of the season. That's a neat track. You know, the cup guys race there, Xfinity camping world truck series races there. Um, really neat track, bigger than anything we have in Canada or cooler anyways. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that'll, that'll be a neat race if we can get there. Cool. I like it. Um, okay. So talking about these races and, and being a racing driver, it always fascinates me to know or get inside the head of a racing driver. Like, what do you think it is that makes a racing driver great or what can make a good racing driver? Are there certain, are there certain personality traits? Are there, are there physical aspects of, of life that they have to really hone in on? Like, what is it that may, in your mind makes a good racing driver or what do you aspire to in that world? Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, if you look through history, it's all different types of guys, you know, uh, the one, the one common theme is all the best guys know they're going to win. You know, <laughs> you're at the driver's meeting and if someone asks, hey, who's going to win this race? You know, 75% of the guys will put up their hand. And of course. You know, that's not the reality. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, probably confidence for sure. And then 
more technically, I'd say um, just your ability to process like visual stimulus quickly without like subconsciously, mm-hmm. right? Just like fast um, twitch, fast twitch muscle, muscle and, re- and reactions. Yeah, something like you know your eye to your hand, mm-hmm. um, something like that, and then and then the ability to focus. You know, go kart race is something different than a than a big series race. You know, two hours to focus is is a, the real deal. Yeah, and I mean it's a physical environment in there too, right? I mean, I, it's I, it's funny. I, I'm not uh, trying to cross promote or name drop here, but I was just watching Donut Media just produced a. I don't know, maybe like a seven or eight minute video where uh, three of the hosts went out and did a NASCAR driver experience. And I can't even remember what track they're, or they're in Vegas. Okay. And they did three laps and they all came back getting out of the car, like just like aching. They're like, holy shit. Like they couldn't even believe how much physical force it took to turn that car through those laps. And they were doing... I think the I think the re- lap records there or the average lap uh, times are in like the twenty five to twenty seven seconds, mm-hmm. and they were doing them in like forty two, <laughs> and they felt like that was the fastest they'd ever gone in their lives. But at the same time, three laps later, they're back out of the car and they're feeling like they got beat up. So, yeah. I mean, how many laps are there in some of the races that you're doing? Like you're in the car for two hours. Yeah. So I mean, say uh, say like at sunset that you were at, we did a three hundred lapper. Jesus, 300 Um, laps. Yeah. And you're like, they're peeling you off the right side of the seat. You know, your tears are streaming across (laughs) your face. Um, And yeah, it's definitely physically demanding. Like you've, you've, you know, there's guys like Tony Stewart who just go race five times a week and they're in great race shape. He doesn't run. He doesn't Mm -hmm. do any weights, you know, but he's in good race shape. And then there's guys like Jimmy Johnson who are triathletes. Oh yeah. Interesting. I never thought of it that way. Yeah, pretty diverse. So there's a, you know, there's a bunch of ways to skin a cat and you (laughs) you know, you're never going to go look at a guy on the street and say, ah, that's a race car driver. Not like you would hockey or the NFL, anything like that. You know, it's, it's pretty mental. Totally. Do you do anything special to prep for races? Is there anything in your kind of like training regiment? Are you a a race five days a week guy? Are you a, a go out and like do triathlons kind of guy? Like what's your shtick? Uh, <clears throat> to go race five days a week is uh, pretty expensive. And you gotta have <laughs> yeah. a lot of sponsors behind you, so that's definitely not me. Yeah. Um. You know, get on iRace and get on the simulator as much as I can. Yeah. Probably should be on it more. Mm-hmm. Uh. And then just, you know, do everything in the gym. Go lift weights. Go to hot yoga. Go sit in the sauna because the heat is is crazy. You know, especially being a Canadian. Guys down in Florida are used to the heat all the time. Oh yeah. Um. But that's the biggest thing: being able to mentally focus in 150 degrees. That's crazy. And then, I mean, how much does dehydration come into play when you're in those? Because, I mean, it's all summer, basically all summer races that you're doing, and it can get fucking hot in Canada. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, we're, um, you know, obviously I don't drink the weekend before. I start (laughs) drinking waters kind of two weeks before Yeah. and just drink a lot of water all the way up to it, uh, and you'll lose about eight pounds during the race. That's crazy. I mean, I've, I've heard of it before. I did a like a cast car driving experience at uh, sunset. I, yeah. can't, I can't remember the name of the driver. With Mark Dilley. It was Mark Dilley. Yeah. yeah, it was Mark Dilley, right? And uh, this was a long time ago. And he... He might drink the weekend before. Yeah, I think he might. Yeah. And he it was really funny because he put down a cooler of water in front of all of us and said, until that cooler of water is gone, none of you are getting in the car. Yeah. I mean, I think it was, I think it was 34 degrees air temperature. And I think it was like close to 40 in car on track temperature. Yeah. And he said that he's watched somebody... Uh, pass out because of dehydration and put the car straight into the wall because it just doesn't turn coming out of the corner and you've passed out and off you go. So he said, I don't want that happening to any of my cars. <laughs> and uh, so 
hydration was a big thing. The other thing he said was some drivers in the US, and I, I mean, I, you can tell I'm a total amateur when it comes to NASCAR racing, but he'd said that they're, um, a lot of them run like an Iceman suit and they, they've got like, li- like literally liquid cooled suits yeah. uh, running beside them. Like, do you guys run any of that in the Canadian series? I've run one before. Um, you know, when I started, I had to have it on all the time. Uh, and now it's kind of, you know, your crew chief doesn't like it cause it's a big box of water there. That's, you know, 30 pounds of weight on the wrong side of the car. Of course. Uh, uh, yeah, right. So I've been able to toughen it up, but, uh, yeah, I guess you get used to it. You just condition yourself. Totally. Um, but yeah, you know, you flip that switch and that water runs through your, your shirt that you have on yeah. and it's like jumping in a cold lake. Oh, oh, nice. It's awesome. It's awesome. <laughs> All of a sudden you make a few really uh, risky passes and everybody <laughs> knows that you turned it on. Um, okay. So, um, in terms of getting into, getting into racing, we kind of talked about karting is obviously an, a, a natural way to start into racing, but then getting into something like a Pinty series, I mean, is it, um, it's gotta be cost prohibitive. Yep. It's gotta be time prohibitive, excuse me, prohibitive. How many, how many drivers are there in this, in the series or teams? I should say. Yeah. I mean, well, I'll go with drivers. Uh, say there's about 40 guys who could kind of show up at any point in time. Um, you know, a big race would be 33 guys. Okay. Um, so yeah, that's to answer your question. Gotcha. Um, I'm going to move into, we've got some stuff that I really wanted to get into in terms of the lifestyle of a driver. So I'm going to move to that. Um, it's the highs and lows. So it's the glamorous side that everybody thinks of when they hear a race driver or pro race driver. But I'm really interested in some of the you know harder parts or what it is that that really tests you as a driver. So we talked about the physical training and the fitness levels of a driver, kind of the mental and physical preparation for a race. I don't know how much of it goes, how much goes into that part of it. But then also we talked about dealing with conditions like heat and cold. We didn't talk about necessarily vehicle maintenance or dependence on a crew or things like wrecking. I mean, for you, what are some of the most challenging parts of being a driver and, and campaigning a car um, in a series? I mean, number one for me is is finding sponsorship. You know, you, you're not going to go racing unless you have some guy, you know, or a company or, you know, potentially like my 2016 season, six companies writing a check that is $350,000 kind of at the minimum. Wow. Um, so that's the first thing you do. And you're stressed about that until you know, that's all finalized. And it's like, okay, let's focus on the race car. Yeah. Um, you got to have a good crew behind you. You got to have a crew chief who's done it a lot longer than I have, who has <laughs> a bunch of knowledge and can go and call a bunch of guys and say, Hey, I'm, I'm confused here. Or what do you think about this? You know, it's not just one guy's knowledge. It, it takes a team to get the car ready. Um, so I mean, highs and lows and, and different, you know, it's different in Canada than the U S I did, a, um, the truck series race uh, came up to Mostport and mm-hmm. did a race there, and I, I drove for Kyle Bush's team. Oh, wow. And that was like, you know, there was a guy carrying my helmet for me. And <laughs> it's totally different than the Pinty series where I'm driving the rig to Alberta right. by myself with, you know, me and Lou are tandem driving and, you know, um, and I'm changing tires in that deal. So it's 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 different every series you go to and, and um, you know, the number of guys on the team uh, – that's a big difference, Tim. Of course. Yeah. I mean, so when it comes to practice, I mean, how does that work in a, in a series or for a driver? I mean, especially like in, in the U.S., we obviously know that there's a ton of money that gets pumped into mm-hmm. the series in the U.S. And I think there's a lot more in terms of feeder series as well. 
But in Canada, like, what do you do to practice and hone your skills? You talked about the simulator. How often can you get out to tracks? Like, where do you go? I mean, how does that all work? I mean, the you know, the prohibitive factor is is the cost of going to spend a day on the track. Um, right. You know, if you if you have a good deal together with a good sponsor, you can go out and test, and and you're gonna have a big advantage on everyone else. Um, but as as far as you know, we'll. For example, during those 2015 and 16, when I ran the whole season there, we got out and tested maybe three times. Uh, you know, you go to an oval that might lend itself to a couple ovals. Okay. Uh, it'll be similar. And then uh, we'll go to uh, Canadian Tire Motorsport Park because we run there twice. And it's like the first race and the last race of the season. And you want to win there. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Um, when it comes to traveling, I mean, you talked about you driving the rig. I mean, what goes into traveling a team? Like how, what does your rig look like? What kind of equipment are you traveling with? How many people and what's the circuit? I mean, how far do you end up going? So <clears throat> the furthest we go West is Wetaskiwin. So South of Edmonton, uh, Wetaskiwin, Wetaskiwin, Wetaskiwin. Alberta. Okay. Alberta. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. Um, so we, <clears throat> me and my other guy who drives the rig mm -hmm. and two guys from our team because that you're not going to put more than four guys in the in the rig okay <laughs> drive all the way out there 40 hours straight Ooh. uh and that sucks mm -hmm. uh and then the furthest you go east is um Anaganish, nova scotia oh okay yeah there's a track in Anaganish. oh yeah it's a cool track it's a scaled down version of bristol Oh wow! Yeah, is that and so when you say that, if I'm not mistaken, Bristol's got a pretty aggressive banking, yeah. right? Yeah, it's pretty deep. Yeah, super fast laps, and this thing is like a roller coaster. It's it's wild just to drive on it, and you're like, oh shit, we got to race on here later tonight. <laughs> That's wild. What do you get for 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 an audience turnout at some of these races? Um, it varies. Uh, the big race for sure is when the Camping World Truck Series comes up to Mostport and we run the double header. Okay, that's probably about mm, eighty to a hundred thousand people. And that's their biggest race by far for attendance as well. No kidding. Yeah. Across the U.S. and Canada. Totally. No shit. Yeah, it's a huge race. That's pretty fun. What weekend is that on usually? Uh, Labor Day. It is Labor yep. Day. Okay. Uh, and then, you know, road course race average will be about 20,000. And then an oval average will be mm, six, six to 10,000. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, what about, um, oh yeah. Okay. So the rigs, like when, when you're traveling, sorry, you're traveling, you're just traveling with, if you're going to a road course, you're just bringing one car. Yeah. We'll bring one car. Yeah. If you, you know, if you wreck it, you're done. Um, yeah, <laughs> yeah you're, you know, not going to wreck it in practice. Yeah. Uh, so drive the transport truck out there mm -hmm. and then maybe about 10 guys. So just pick up trucks kind of from the shop and most of the races, <clears throat> excuse me, most of the races are Ontario and Quebec. So okay. Not a big deal. Oh, that's pretty easy for you guys. Then. Yeah. That makes sense. Uh, do you get, does anybody come up from the U S to run in the Canadian series versus running and sticking around and running in the U S? Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was, there's been a couple teams over the years that have run out of North Carolina and that's a huge advantage. You know, that's the hub. That's Mecca, right? Penske's there. Everyone's there. Hendrick's there. You know, you go down to a, <clears throat> the CNC shop and they're like, oh yeah, we'll give you what, you know, those guys got kind of thing. <laughs> there, there's a big advantage to running out of there. Right. Um, as far as, yeah, recently guys have come up. Uh, Christopher Bell uh, came up. Um, you know, he's probably one of the best guys running right now um, because of the truck series. Those guys who are going to race the truck race mm -hmm. want to come up and run the Pinty series in May at Mosport. Right. 
It's a good training ground for them. Well, it, it's a good point, actually. What are, um, actually, you know what? I wanted to ask you about um, social media, media in general, and kind of what it play, like, what kind of role it plays in for you. Um, in the U.S., again, everything is just like massively magnified. But f- for you here in Canada, do you find it at all? Is it a distraction? Can you use it to your advantage? Can you do you just totally block it out? How do you deal with it? Uh, you can definitely use it to your advantage. Um, I should probably be better about it during the weekend. You know, a lot, a lot of the guys, especially on big teams, have people doing it for them. Yeah. Uh, you can load up content. I can't seem to get my brother to do it for me, <laughs> uh, <laughs> even though he does legendaries. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah right. right. Um, you know, should definitely be working at it more. It, it is an advantage. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, there's just you've got to break break through that you know you, as you know the level of followers or yeah. whatever it be viewers yeah. to make it worthwhile yeah. you know sometimes you feel like you're just spinning your wheels a little bit huh, no pun intended mm-hmm. um now in terms of the uh rivalries that you get out on the uh out on the course and through the season um is it pretty intense i mean is it pretty uh lighthearted i mean or is it uh, it's go time when you guys get out there and there's no holds barred yeah, when you get out there, for sure, it's go time. I mean, there's, it's interesting because it, NASCAR's kind of always been the mentality that it's self-policing, right? Yeah. They're not going to call a penalty, but you know what? You're not going to finish the next race if you're, <laughs> you know, doing something you shouldn't be doing out there. Um, but for sure, there's a, you know, it's, it's uh, you got to build respect out there with guys, especially on the ovals. You know, at any point in time, you can just stick your nose in a little too far and end a guy's weekend. Um and you don't you don't want to have it returned to you the next weekend. Yeah. Um, so I mean, biggest biggest rivalry probably last year was Tagliani. Mm. Um, he uh, he dumped me pretty good when we were running second out at uh, CTMP with you know thirteen laps to go. Oh no! Pretty frustrating. But, okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> you can't see the smile on his face, but it's pretty endearing. Did you find that it was challenging for you kind of coming in as a as a young gun? Like, I mean, I say a young gun, but I mean, I'm sure, you know, a lot of young racing drivers have to make their entry in at some point. You're rookie of the year. How do you feel that the, uh, you know, the the old dogs in the, in, in, the, in the race series kind of treat you? Does some of them take you under their wing or is it all just kind of like bump and run for everybody? No, there's a, there's a lot of good guys. I mean, um, you know, Hathaway, DJ Kennington, they've been real good to me. Um, probably cause I drive the rig and DJ's a trucker as well. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> there's some respect for yeah, that. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, and then, and then there's, but it is in, in Canada, it's, it's a, you know, in the U S there's series that are equivalent and they're just a stepping stone. Whereas the Canadian NASCAR series, the Pinty series is an end in itself for a lot of guys. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of guys who were, you know, won their first championship the year I was born in the same series. Right. Um, that's crazy. So there's a huge amount of respect, a a bunch of older guys who are old oval track racers. So yeah, it was a little bit tough for me coming in, you know, showing up to a NASCAR race being my second oval race I've ever done. You know, it's kind of like, shit, do I even belong here? (laughs) No nerves at all on that. You just kind (laughs) of went, I guess once you get in and you get the helmet on and you're fired up and you get into your first few feet of the lap, like it's just, it's a switch has been flipped and you're ready to race, right? Yeah. You're just racing. That's awesome. I love hearing that. (laughs) So talk about a little bit, uh, sorry, talk a little bit about the differences between the Canadian and U S series. I mean, what do you see as some of the biggest, um, you know, what are some of the biggest differences at least? Uh, 
<clears throat> definitely budget for one. Yeah. By far. You know, yeah. even the equivalent series, the K&N series in the US and our Pinty series, the budgets are just, you know, triple. Um, better brakes for sure. That's okay. a big difference I've noticed uh, when I race the truck back to back with the Pinty's car at Mosport. Uh, and then the truck arms which are different, the truck arm suspension in the rear. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the truck series, Xfinity series, and the cup series all run radial tires. Big oh, okay. difference. Right, because you you said you were running bias, bias plies. Yeah. So, you know, it's like old tech. Yeah, you're slipping around there. There's a big margin for error, and you can push it, whereas the radials, you're in the wall. Yeah, yeah. right. Um, and, and what about between the trucks and the cars? I mean, you know, you, you, you run both in Canada. Um, and to me as a total amateur, I'm looking at it going, why do they run in trucks? Like, why are they running trucks and they, they, and they run cars? So what do you see? Like, why, why is that happening? Just another series to add to NASCAR's roster there. Yeah. Uh, they're really just cars. Yeah. Um, you know, the biggest difference I found anyways, uh, and that might not be the difference between a truck and a car is just the arrow. You know, all these teams out of the U.S., they're blowing their, their stuff in the wind tunnel all the time. <laughs> That's um, so crazy. You know, and the rolling speed through the through the center of a corner, you're just like, oh, man, this thing is designed to stick like this, whereas the Pinty's car is, uh, you know, it doesn't feel like there's any arrow on the thing. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, and I mean, also, the one thing that I've, I've never experienced yet, I, you know, I'm kind of embarrassed to have to admit that I've never been to a NASCAR race. Mm. And, uh, I mean, I've, I, I know that I've been at CTMP on the long weekend when the Pinty series or Cascar series back then was running, Yep. but I just don't think I was there for the race. <laughs> <laughs> and, and outside of my driving experience with Mark Dilley, yep. uh, that's really been the extent of it. And I've wanted to go out a bunch of times, so I, I will certainly be out this season. Um, but with that, I wanted to know like, what's 2019 going to bring for you? I mean, how, how are you lining up for it and what are your plans? Uh, still working on on sponsorships, so that's you know my homework over the winter to go find find some money and and find a good partnership with a company that works uh, where we can kind of incorporate them into our TV show, bring them into kind of the LMC family, and then figure out what they want to do as far as you know maybe produce short videos, which we do, mm -hmm. uh, go out to the track, figure out what they want to do with clients or or suppliers if they're B two B, all that sort of stuff. So put together a, a sponsorship. Trying the goal is to run the season of the Pinty series. Uh, it's great. It's close to home. It's in Canada. Yeah. Try and win a championship. That's always the goal. Mm -hmm. And then the truck race at CTMP. That's, you know, I feel I can win that thing. Um, so to try and get in a good truck there would be big. Um, 2016, I guess it was 2016. No, 2017. Uh, I did my first uh, Monster Energy Cup Series race at Watkins Glen. Okay, so what's That's the the highest level? Okay, with okay you know, the boys, hey, with the uh, boys on that one. Yeah, yeah exactly. So okay. that was that was neat, and to try and go back there for uh, you know either Sonoma, uh, the Charlotte Road Course, or Watkins Watkins Glen, uh, and try and get in some decent equipment for that would be you know kind of the uh, cherry on top for the 2019 season. Well, yeah. I mean, what do you have to do in terms of your car and setup to be able to run in the, it's what you said is the, is the monster energy uh, yeah, series. I mean, so you, you just, you know, you're going to be a higher driver for a team. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. They're going to be looking for a road course guy. You're going to say, Hey, I've got a sponsor. Let's go race. Right. Yeah. Gotcha. 
Um, okay, so we're going to change gears a little bit. Again, no pun intended. Those are so cheesy, but <laughs> you have to do them. Um, I'm always interested when I have my guests on. We have such varied backgrounds and, you know, we talk to everybody from, you know, photographers and film producers to insurance guys to uh, journalists to race drivers to builders and collectors. We get everybody in. And the one thing that we all end up talking about, or at least we end up thinking about on a regular basis now here in 2018, moving to 2019, is electrification and autonomy. So starting with autonomy, um, you know, where do you see autonomy going? Like, what's your opinion on it? Do you love it? Do you hate it? Do you want to see more of it? Do you see it as as a part of the future of what we of what we're doing from a mobility standpoint or? Do you think that it's just going to, um, do you think it's just going to end up being a replacement for something like public transit? Might be something like that. I mean, I'm, I'm a, you know, free market economics guy. So I'm just going to say just whatever happens, happens. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, and it's going to propel everyone forward and everyone's going to have a better standard of living. Mm -hmm. Um, there might be some short term hurt, uh, because of that. But, you know, I think I, from what I've heard, it's a tough problem to solve and they haven't cracked it yet. So I'm not, yeah. you know, I don't think it's imminent. Um, electrification. That's great. I mean, whatever I drive on the street daily, I don't care as long as it gets me there. Uh, and I think that might even create more space for car enthusiasts. You know, it might make things even cooler, you know, Oh, you've got a gas powered car. <laughs> totally. <laughs> right. Totally. Um, but as far as as far as kind of AI going into that stuff, uh, my cousin actually, who's my Jackman, we were having a discussion after the Mosport race uh, over a couple of beers. We were talking about AI and how it's going to be integrated into racing, you know, in 50 years, 60 years, how, however long it may be. And it's like <clears throat> now it's going to be a true, you know, test of the talent. It's like, here's the theoretical. Yeah. Go. It's just you. The car is the same, you know, whereas now it's such a dance. It'll be a different sport, but I could see that coming in. And we thought that would be pretty interesting having those kind of driver only shootouts because it's never happened before. It's always a factor of how good the car is, how good the crew chief is, who's cheating the most and, you know, the synergy between all that. But if it's this is what the AI says and you're the driver, I think that would be pretty neat. That's interesting. I really like that perspective on it. Um, that's cool. I think everybody will really appreciate that. I haven't heard it explained that way. And I think that, um, that's pretty realistic too, to think that it's going to be integrated. The amount of tech that's being infused into automotive and motorsport right now, it only makes sense because it eventually makes its way into our cars that we see on the street and drive every day now too. I mean, you see that, especially from F1, but, um, from the AI standpoint, when you get enough cars running in a series at the same time, that amount of data is just worth so much to be able to learn from. So I, I totally hear you on that. Yeah. Every F1 team, every NASCAR team has their supercomputer. And eventually when you plug it in and it gives you the perfect readout, you know, if, if everyone in the series has it, it's a true spec series. Totally. I love it. Well, that's a great note to end on Gary. And, um, and why don't I, um, why don't I kick it over to you um, to help everybody understand where they can find you? So where can they find you on social media or email or your website or LMC? What have you got to share with us? Just Gary Clude on everything. Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook. Uh, go to the Legendary Motor Car website and uh, have a look at the inventory. Yeah, definitely. I, I highly encourage that. And make sure you watch out for what Gary's up to in 2019. Um, I'm sure you'll be able to find that on your on your Instagram or on Facebook or wherever everybody's going to follow you. 
Um, and for me, that's been another episode of the Bucket Seat Podcast. So please do rate, review, and subscribe to the show. Of course, if you like it, you can find me all over the web at The Bucket Seat, be that Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. And keep emailing me with all of your great feedback and episode suggestions at trevor at thebucketseat.ca. So as usual, I hope you enjoyed the discussion as much as I did. Keep listening and stay tuned. Thanks again, Gary. Thanks. Thanks.